But he's saying, look, if you're out there and you're living in the cesspool, then you're going to become a more angry person. Mm. Your, your fuse is going to get shorter and your reflex is going to, of anger and bolting to anger and going to anger is going to be so much faster. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Salty Pastor. This is a podcast designed to help you learn critical thinking skills, how to grow your own faith. And our job is to inspire, to coach, to encourage you as you journey through your life, faith in Jesus Christ. And today we have something really special. It's kind of unique. Jesse's on vacation. And so today we have a guest host. And so everybody, I'd like to introduce you to Dana Mitchell. She is the director of our adult ministries at Foothills Christian Church. She has been in this role on staff as a ministry leader for eight years. And so say hello, Dana. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Yeah. Why is it so exciting? Well, you know, I mean, first of all, I feel like it's just right for me to be filling in for Jesse since... You know, I'm kind of like a big hero of his. He really very much looks up to me. So it's just right for me to be filling in for him. <laughs> he looks up to you. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. You're kind of one of his personal life coaches, right, huh? Right. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. I got it. Okay. <laughs> so, well, uh, I'm glad you're here today because you're going to help us on Thursdays. What we do is we mm-hmm. take the biblical principles that I talked about on Tuesday, and then on Thursday, we apply them to real life. And you're guest hosting because you have a different perspective because of the role that you're in and the way that you're involved with digital discipleship, you're involved with our small groups and developing community and how important it is to see people uh, engaged so that their faith grows strong. So based on our study that I did on Tuesday, what are some questions you might have for me to kind of just get this practical and applicable? Well, um, I did listen in and I'm just, you listened. I did. Good for you. (laughs) I'm really excited about the book of James because I've never really done an in-depth study of it before. Mm -hmm. I've read through it, you know, in programs or different Bible studies, but never really like dug in to it. And when we posted on social media that we were doing a study of the book of James, I was surprised at how many people commented Mm. back that this is like one of their favorite books of the New Testament. So then I got really excited about digging into it. And um, even though we're just, you know, the first couple chapters in, um, there's just so much in practical teaching that's, um, it's just good to hold on to. So, yeah. So, okay. The first question that I had was about anger. You know, everyone deals with anger. Um, so what is the impact of anger on women and how does this stop the work of Jesus in our lives? Well, I think anger does have a huge impact on women and men. It, uh, I think both, Males and females deal with anger. It's a part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. I think that it presents in females differently than it presents in males, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have examples? uh, Well, I think for males, uh, sometimes males, uh, up until about 30 years ago, in males, it always would come out as an aggression or rebellious behavior or, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a movie out there called Rebel Without a Cause. You know, it was just that angst Mm -hmm. of young men uh, risk, sometimes risk taking, you know, they would, they would go out when they're young and they get in fights or they drink too much or drive too fast. These are kind of expressions uh, of aggressive anger. You know, they're kind of expressing that, uh, women on the other hand, 
anger presents in different ways depending upon their stage in life and that is is that sometimes they can be controlling they can be very they can be manipulative or they they'll they'll withdraw mm -hmm. you know they will uh, flee you know kind of a fight uh, fight or flight and so they can get real uh verbal mm -hmm. You know, if they're in a relationship with somebody and they're angry, they can get really verbal, you know, and they make a lot of demands and they say mm. a lot of things like that uh, that can be negative. Mm. Guys, guys will be more physically aggressive at times, you know, they'll break stuff. But I think one thing that if you have a long term uh, issue with anger, that it kind of turns into a depression mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think you, what we have to do is we have to remember the main theme of James, and that was this consider it, which means something happens in your mind, all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's a specific connection between anger and then becoming strong in heart and mind, right? Mm -hmm. And what we see here is he's saying, look, anger is something you need to deal with because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Well, what is the righteousness of God? Well, in this case, it's learning how to consider to be joyful in every problem in life, which is really simple to say, mm, very extremely hard to do. Hard to mm -hmm. do. And it's a long-term process mm -hmm. of growth. And so I think, I think one of the things that we could deal on and for women in particular and men in particular is this, is that anger is an emotional reflex Okay. And it's an emotional reflex that comes out of you in a couple of situations. Uh, first of all, if you're hurt, right? If you're hurt, like, I don't know what you do, but like, if I get hurt, you know, like something shocks me, like I get punched or cut or hit. And it does, if like, it's the weed whacker, I'm out there and it, <laughs> it whacks me, man, I throw it on the ground and stomp on it. Right. I mean, my, my initial reflex is an inanimate object, but it hurt me. I'll punch it back, right? So when something happens for a female, you know, like let's say you get physically hurt in, in it's not like going to the dentist and the dentist says, well, I got to do work on you. It's going to hurt. I mean, yeah. like it's kind of a surprise, like one of your kids or somebody does something and mm -hmm. you take a shot to the stomach yeah. or some kind of thing. How do, how do, how, as a female, how do you respond reflexively to a physical pain that you didn't expect? Yeah, I mean, I, like you said, I think there's several different, maybe personality type to yeah. dictates which response you're gonna get. I kind of freeze and have to pro like, wait, what? What exactly did just <laughs> happen? Yeah, okay. I always have this delayed kind of reaction, okay. but then it's usually like uh, a verbal response. And what type of verbal response might that be? <laughs> Only when you're really angry. Uh, not righteous. <laughs> it doesn't accomplish <laughs> the righteousness of God. Well, I, I appreciate your vulnerability there because yeah. I think what we're seeing in males and females is an illustration of how anger is a reflex, mm -hmm. right? And so what, what happens is, okay, how do I manage this reflex, mm -hmm. right? How do I manage it? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think what's really fascinating is if you look in the verse there, he's, you know, right after it doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. And then what does he say right after that? He says, moral filth. get rid of moral filth. And what he's, and it's really interesting. He's not saying become a perfect person. That's not what he's saying, but he's saying, look, if you're out there and you're living in the cesspool, then you're going to become a more angry person. Mm. Your, your fuse is going to get shorter and your reflex is going to, of anger and bolting to anger and going to anger is going to be so much 
faster. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you control anger? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you control that reflex is what you do is you get out of moral filth, mm-hmm. right? You get out of the shame place, that guilt place, and you get into what God wants to do in you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that, I guess that to answer your question, I would say mm-hmm. anger is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Anger is a big deal for every person, whether you're a follower of Christ or not. But I would say that if you're following Christ and you're on a journey of life, you want to at some point evaluate how you respond to anger, mm-hmm. right? And because if you don't, every time you're hurt, right, either physically or emotionally, mm-hmm. like in your re- marriage relationship, if mm-hmm. you're hurt or with your kids, because mm-hmm. your kids are going to do things that hurt you. So what happens is if you're not like you have evaluated that in your head of how you reflexively respond then what you're going to realize is that I want so badly to do, you know, something good, but you do something bad. Right. You know, it's very important between parents and teenagers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that is as a teenager comes home and they do something and uh, it just, it's just, you know, they're, the parent's fear, mm-hmm. right, causes a reflexive response. Oh, yeah. And then there's a lot and that's damaging. It's mm-hmm. not helpful, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's an issue with uh, anger and how it can damage and not achieve the righteousness of God. So what I, what I encourage everybody to do is that, you know, especially if you're a parent of a teenager, is constantly pray, constantly pray for your kids, pray covering over them, and also pray this prayer. Say, God, I know my teenagers are going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, don't let me bolt to a reflexive bad response, Mm -hmm. but let me speak wisdom Mm -hmm. and let me speak graciously Mm -hmm. for whatever that circumstance needs in that moment. Yeah. Speaking life over your kids is so powerful. I had to really learn that with my teenager that I can say a lot of things, but I should only speak life over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's okay to think them. Right. (laughs) But sometimes you just shouldn't say them to your teenagers. Yes, I get that. So, all right. Well, what else have you got there for me? Okay. Okay. So um, that bit about identity. Oh, yes. Identity is a big deal. Yeah. So I want to read back that verse because it just, it was so powerful. Um, I'll just skip to the middle of 23. Uh, is like a man who looks his looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So um, I just thought that that was an interesting illustration of looking in the mirror and then turning away and forgetting. Can you talk mm-hmm. about how that relates to identity, maybe give us another word picture so that we can really understand what he's saying about that. Well, I think that the most important upstream idea to consider is this, and that is, what is the definition of a human being? What does it mean Mm -hmm. to actually be a human being? What does it mean to be alive or sentient? Okay. That is a very abstract, but upstream idea. And what has happened is our society has turned so far from God's definition of what a human being actually is and adopted a worldly philosophy of what it means to be a human being. And the result is now we have raised multiple generations of adults who are incapable of navigating the real 
world. And the reason why is because of this question of identity mm-hmm. is that they, they see a reflection of who they are and something happens. And that is, is that that's not me. Now, um, I remember a number of years ago, there was this show that my wife liked to watch where these people would go out and find people who were uh, fashion train wrecks, right? <laughs> and so they come in and they would try to teach them, you know, they buy them a whole bunch of clothes and teach them how to dress themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And, and a lot of times, sometimes it'd be like a, a woman who lost her husband and she mm-hmm. was kind of been in depression for four or five years, or it was... Uh, you know, an empty nester or it was the, I mean, all these people that had some kind of trauma in their life and they just started wearing sweatpants and, yeah. and the people around them nominate them and say, this is such a beautiful person. Right. They don't dress yeah. well at all. And what was really interesting in this show is this, is they, they started, I don't know how many seasons my wife watched it faithfully to get fashion ideas. But about halfway through, what they did is they realized that they were dealing with body issues with people. Mm -hmm. And so they would have people take a life-size piece of paper and then say, okay, draw your body shape for me. And they would draw their outline of their body shape, right? Of their perception of their body shape. And then they would have them stand against it and actually outline their body. And they would step away, and the contrast was unbelievable. Yeah, Yeah, it was so different. It was not even close, their perception of their body to their actual Mm -hmm. body Mm -hmm. type. That's like looking in a mirror, right? Right. And today, psychologists call it body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. And that is is that you're incapable of seeing yourself in reality. Now, if you can't do that physically, think about trying to do Mm. that spiritually Mm -hmm. or emotionally. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so I, what he's really talking about, I think is super powerful. And that is that we look in a mirror and then we go away and forget Mm -hmm. what we looked like. Mm -hmm. And so now, you know, I have this problem all the time. You know, I get up in the morning and I do my devotions and I say, I go in the bathroom to brush my teeth and I look up and every time I look in the mirror, I go, who's that old guy looking at me? You know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, kind of gives me a start. And so I I think one of the things you have to realize is that our image of ourself never actually lines up with reality. That's Mm -hmm. true for every human being. So if you're a follower of Christ, right. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, I, what I need to do is I need to close that gap. I need to close it because this is about my identity. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the most critical things of why people live weak faith filled lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. So people say, well, I don't have enough faith. And it's like, well, I asked God for this. I don't get it because I don't have enough faith. No, yeah. that's not the issue. The issue is identity. You don't know who you are mm-hmm. in Christ. You look at yourself and for a moment, like you might go to church on Sunday and the pastor says, you know, you're a child of God and you've been redeemed. You've been made whole, you've been made all this. And then you, then you get in the parking lot, right. And you're driving out and there's bad traffic, you know, and you start yelling at your wife and your kids Mm -hmm. and you're fighting over where you're going to go to, you start acting like that old person. Right. Right. And so what, what you just forgot. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
you've forgotten your identity. And, and this is what's really powerful is that our society is destroying the identity of human beings and your capacity to have any identity. Why do you think that Western civilization produced the greatest scientific revolution in the history of humanity? Why do you think the industrial revolution took place? Why do you think the financial revolution took place, which has allowed multiple people to develop wealth where it used to be controlled by just a very few people? Why do you think that there was a, a literary uh, explosion, the renaissance of art and music? Why did all these things happen? Did they happen because Western civilization, particularly in the 14, 1500s, was so steeped in who God was and acknowledging and walking in the favor and the knowledge and the wisdom of God that it ex all this stuff exploded. Mm -hmm. You see, it exploded. Yeah. See, these it's because of identity. Mm -hmm. People were wanting, I, I just want to write and do things that sing about the glory of God. I want to create. I want to innovate. I want to discover. Mm -hmm. And what has happened today in our world? Uh, it seems like our discovery, our innovations and stuff are slowing down yeah. or plateauing. Yeah. Well, that's because we live in a secular society that has decided to redefine what it means to be a human being. Mm -hmm. And it has done so to the point where it is destroying people. It's destroying their souls. Mm -hmm. It's destroying their lives. And most importantly, and this is what pains me beyond belief, is it is destroying every person's potential to discover who they are. Right. Right? Yeah. My follow-up question to that, and this is going off script a little bit, but I wouldn't be wise if I didn't take this moment to plug what I do, which is creating community within the church, mm -hmm. and how that influences your identity. Because when you surround yourself in your small group, your Bible studies at church, with other Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah. they they have a clear view. You know, when you lose your identity, they have a clear view of your yes. identity, and that can help you and and support you in that, and and keep remind you keep reminding keep reminding. I found that to be true for myself here. You know, because I know being uh, close with you and Kim for so many years, mm -hmm. you know, you would see something in me that I wouldn't see in myself. And it was kind of like the pulling out, like in the book of Psalms, it calls it's yeah. like drawing out drawing the deep it out. waters. Yeah. yeah. And so when you have mentors in your life and other people who are walking alongside you and encouraging in your faith, I think that that really pulls it out and it becomes clear to you. Absolutely. And I think what you're really uh, revealing here is something that's been proven over and over again. And that is, is that there was, they've actually done research on this, but like, let's say you're in your early thirties and you're a female and half of your friends are divorced. Mm -hmm. Your likelihood of being divorced mm -hmm. goes up to over 90%, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that's just your friend group, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Your friend group is going through that. And so here's another study that was, that came out of Brown university and it was so bothersome that they suppressed it and then it got re redone. But what it was, it was called rapid onset body dysmorphia. And what they found is that girls, okay, would identify as transgendered based on social media pressure. Mm -hmm. And they call it rapid onset body dysmorphia. In other words, these girls were fine. They were healthy. They go to they would go to middle school, they'd get involved in social media, mm -hmm. they'd get cell phones. And then the percent of girls upwards of 20 something percent, which statistically that's just ex an mm -hmm. explosion, it, uh, would all think that they're transgendered. And so they were saying that, okay, this is not some biological mm -hmm. thing. This is a socially right. created movement. 
And so they published it and they said, okay, that doesn't fit our narrative. So we're going to get rid of that. But they weren't able to suppress the study. And then another gal picked it up, a gal who is politically, she's a very left-leaning person. But she, she basically wrote about how there's a war on girls mm-hmm. right now uh, in this transgendered movement and trying to convince them of body dysmorphia. They take any emotional angst that a girl has and they say, well, the reason why is because you're a boy trapped in a girl's body. And so this is, this is child abuse beyond Mm -hmm. belief. And it's really, really sad. And I'm happy that both sides of the aisle are waking up to the radicalism of these deconstructionist movements. You know, it's really, it's something that we really need to understand, you know, in that regard. And deconstruction is very popular right now. Yeah. And so tying into, you know, you've been talking about postmodernism for Longer than it was cool to be talking about postmodernism. <laughs> I wrote my <laughs> doctoral thesis on postmodernism. Oh, that was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, almost 20 years ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah, next year it'll be 20 years ago I wrote that. Wow. So uh, you're talking about social media. And um, in social media, we're finding all these high-profile Christians leaving the faith. Oh, yes. Yes, we yeah. are. So... Um, can you talk about that and how it applies? Well, how does James' teaching apply to those these modern-day situations? Well, I think deconstructionism, deconstructionism, as I've said before, and I just want to reiterate to everybody who's listening to the Salty Pastor, is that is, it is a way of thinking. Mm-hmm. It's not what you're thinking. Like you think, oh, the sky is blue, or I'm happy today, or I like my job, or this is interesting, and oh, I want to help people. What it is, is it's a way in which you think of these things. And so you might say, well, you know, the sky, I I like the sky, but the sky is not really blue. The sky is not really, you know, green. It's not really this color. I don't think anybody really knows that color. And how could we even know if it was blue or not? And isn't blue just some artificially constructed category that we do? And so, and doesn't that rob us of the joy? See, that's how you Mm -hmm. think about that event. Oh, I'm going out on a date with this guy, right? And so you go out, you know, a single guy goes out on a date with this guy and she's like, well, look at the way he, he, he sliced his lettuce, you know, I mean, I mean, he's really, he's got a good job, you know, my friends like him, they say he's a good guy, but look at the way he's slicing. I mean, who cuts their salad before they eat it? You know, I mean, I, I, what is up with that? You know, see, so deconstructionism Mm -hmm. is what you do is you think in a certain way about everything. Mm -hmm. And what it basically means is you're skeptical. Mm -hmm. It's like, I just don't want to believe anything to be true. Right. Right. And so what happens is these people that have left the faith are trying to deconstruct their faith. And what's happening is that philosophers have always pointed this out. You know, I was uh, reading about Josh Harris. This was a guy probably 25 years ago. He wrote a book and it was called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And it was for Christian singles. And that is, is that his basic premise was, if you're going to date, date to get married. Mm-hmm. And you should know within six to nine months. And then if you're not, move on. Yeah. Quit just dinking around, basically. He says, and also he talked a lot. He really advocated for group dating, uh, the use of mentors and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So he finds this woman and he marries her, right? And they fall in love. 20 years later, what happens? He doesn't want to be married anymore. So he leaves his wife and then he posts on social media, I don't believe in God anymore. I always find it's really interesting (laughs) that people quit believing in God when there's some type of moral 
filth yeah. in their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, I see this all the time with college kids. Mm -hmm. You know, they come back, you know, they grew up in the church, they come back and they would say, yeah, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. And their parents make them come talk to the pastor. And I've had these conversations. I can't tell you how many times because I've been in one place for 26, 27 years. So <laughs> that's one blessing of being in one place is I know parents, you know, I know the kids, the kids grow up, they you know, the college. whole family dynamic, I know the whole family <laughs> dynamic, the kids come back. I don't believe in God anymore. And when I first started out, you know, I, I would say, oh, really? Well, what did the professor say? And, and who did this? Yeah. You know how I start now? I go, well, what are you, are you living with your girlfriend or not? Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> a lot. Actually. A lot has to do with it, bro, because you, you feel so guilty. You don't want to feel... See, yeah. and this is what's really interesting is this, is that I really want to point this point out, is that every person feels guilty. Mm -hmm. Guilty is painful. I call it a belly full of pus. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants it, right? And so the thing is, is that when we feel guilty... We try to assuage our guilt ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the problem with assuaging or getting rid of guilt yourself is it never works. It yeah. can't be done. And this is the power of the gospel of Christ. You know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of salvation. What are you saved from? The wounding of your soul and your own attempt to assuage your shame and your guilt, mm -hmm. right? You can't do it. Paul said in Philippians uh, chapter three, he says, I don't want to have a righteousness of my own. He goes, it, it's powerless. Mm -hmm. He goes, I want a righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. I want to know him, the fellowship of his sufferings in order that I may know the power of his what? Mm -hmm. Resurrection. You see, only Jesus can bring dead things to life, and guilt is death. Mm -hmm. And you live with it, you walk with yeah. it, right? Mm -hmm. But what happens is when we turn to Christ, we're that's why I think James is saying, you know, don't walk in the cesspool. You're just making your life more miserable. And the righteousness of God is to grow you strong, mm -hmm. right? and bring joy into your life. He wants to take dead things and bring them back to life. He wants to do that in your life. So be sure that what you're doing is not trying to manage your guilt yourself. Yeah. That you're not trying to heal your guilt yourself. Mm -hmm. What you're attempting to do is let Jesus do his healing work in you. And this is why I am such a critic of deconstructionism because deconstructionism steals the hope of salvation. Mm -hmm. Every philosopher out there, when you read about uh, philosophers that talk about deconstructionism and postmodernism and all this kind of stuff, they all say the same thing. It's, it absolutely develops nihilism. And basically what that means is zero hope, zero meaning, mm -hmm. and zero purpose in your life. And just cynicism. It's absolute <laughs> cynicism. You know, Some people think sarcasm is funny, but 24-7, give me a break. It turns dark, doesn't it? It turns dark. <laughs> Yeah. But do you see what I'm saying is that is that the notion of how we solve our own guilt, if we do it with a postmodern deconstructionist way of thinking, we end up with meaningless and death. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's so fascinating is that prior to the pandemic, every single thing that was taking people's life, cancer, heart mm -hmm. disease, all of these different things was going down, 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 down. The only thing that was becoming the leading causes of death amongst young people was suicide. Mm -hmm. And you know what happened since the pandemic? Oh. It's tripled. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely amazing. 
and you know, in in an attempt to save people by locking down and mm-hmm. sending kids home, what we have done is I understand initially how fearful we mm-hmm. were. I get that. Mm-hmm. But we have propagated that fear Mm -hmm. and we have pushed that fear to the point where we have destroyed our children. Mm -hmm. And if I may make a really salty, I I expect no less in a culture that celebrates abortion, Mm -hmm. kill their kids so that they can have convenience. I expect no less in a a nation where the politicians, the politicians in uh, Washington, D.C. right now, the average age of those people are 70 years Mm -hmm. of age, right? They're all older people. There's very few younger people in it. And so, and what have they done? They spent trillions and trillions of trillions of dollars. And so right now, if you're born in America, your kid, you owe the government a hundred grand. You're a hundred grand in debt already. So what the, what the adults did is they sold the future of their children for their own security and safety. And that, that to me is the most unchristian ethic Mm -hmm. because Christ says, if you're an adult, you, you live to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You don't sacrifice your kids. Yeah. And that's what deconstructionism does. It creates fear. Mm-hmm. That fear becomes palpable. And then it takes over the whole spirit of people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To where they're making fear-based decisions. And this is, this is how a fear-based decision works. And that is, okay, this is a really radical thing that we're going to do. But if we don't do it, we won't save the world. Right. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm. Where does that arrogance come from? Right. You've watched way too many Hollywood movies, too many Bruce Willis movies about Armageddon. You know, if right. we don't send a group to work, you see what yeah. I'm saying? And so we have this idiotic idea of the way we think. And this all surrounds deconstructionism. And, and that's just, what causes it. Yeah. And lost the total notion that life is a gift, that every day you wake yeah. up and you have breath in your lungs is a gift and no, there is no guarantee for tomorrow. And so to there think that none. we can do anything really to control that right. is just, and so is that how you want to, if tomorrow's not guaranteed, what does that mean for today? Yeah. How are you going to live it? Is it going to be behind locked doors and away from the people that you love? Or And that's mean, exactly why he goes into this whole section on do the deeds. Mm-hmm. It's you can't just think, right? right. You got to do. You got to do. And I think one of the most freeing things that you can do as a as a person is you can say, "Look, life is not a guarantee." Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I, I my soul was not meant for this world, right? right? Now I don't want to hasten my mm-hmm. time onto the next world, but the most freeing thing you can do is exactly what you said. Every day is a gift. Every breath is a gift, mm-hmm. and so. I, I, it gives me an opportunity to do my faith. Right. And now if you're just a thinker, mm-hmm. right, and you're not a doer, then what happens is you can get caught up in fear like no tomorrow. So I think doing your faith is one of the most grounding things that you can do. It's one of the most uh, pragmatic things that, that strengthens your faith, right? Mm-hmm. So that you, you go and you... The other thing it does is it really helps your not just fear, but your emotional up and downs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like people who, uh, no matter what they work out, right? Yeah. Uh, and so they, they get a discipline of working out. Sometimes they feel good. Sometimes they feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they feel happy. Sometimes they feel sad. But what happens is over the course of months and years, what happens? Yeah. Those things just, it just becomes a habit. Those things mm-hmm. just kind of start to level out you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think there's a lot of strength in that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of endurance and perseverance because what does he say at the very beginning? The whole point of the theme of this book is 
You must consider it joy because your faith is being tested because it produces endurance. Mm -hmm. And what does endurance produce in you Mm -hmm. that you may be complete and mature, not lacking anything? Mm -hmm. So I I think doing Mm -hmm. is really a big deal when it comes to our faith. Mm -hmm. It is. And um, I get caught up on that a little bit, you know. Well, one of the questions was, why is the knowing just, you know, knowing deficient in producing maturity? Mm-hmm. What is it about the doing that produces maturity? And just how, when you think doing, you think physical, you think yes. tangible, mm-hmm. but really doing comes down to choice. Mm-hmm. You know, making the choice. Making to, a choice, yes. To have faith in a situation, making mm-hmm. the choice to... Um, surrender, you know, making the choice to trust God in all of the circumstances of your life. Mm-hmm. That, that is doing, even though it's not. Well, let me give you, you, know. a, let me give you a, a little bit of a, a kind of a philosophical in-depth look at this. And that is, is that in Greek philosophy and in Roman uh, paganism, there was this notion because, you know, Socrates and, and uh, Plato, Aristotle, they lived 400 years before Christ mm-hmm. was born and they wrote and there was, they, they taught a dualism that spirit and flesh were different. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, uh, in Judaism, they split the covenant of God and they had a little bit of dualism, mm-hmm. you know, Jewish dualism going on, even in the way they applicate. It's like the law. It's like, well, I can think and feel whatever I want. As long as I don't break the law, I'm, I'm good with God. So I could be a really mean, nasty person, but I'm not breaking the law. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so they have the sense of dualism. Then Christ comes. And what does Christ do? Christ brings this, the living spirit of God in flesh. Mm-hmm. So he brings the spiritual and the physical together in one. Okay. And so every heresy of early Christianity in the first 300 years, there were five major heresies. Every single one of them dealt with trying to split those things apart mm. until they were brought together. You see, and it, it was finally resolved in 324, and it was uh, the Nicene Council. It wasn't ne- the Nicene Council wasn't about you know what books are we're gonna. The, primarily, it was to resolve this issue. It was called the Arian Heresy, and what they came to the conclusion was is that. In the Nicene Creed, it says this, is that Jesus was completely human in flesh. He was completely God all at the same time. Mm -hmm. They call that the homoousion together. And so, and then since then, it was that way up until the Protestant Reformation. Well, there's seeds of this prior. I can't get into the the weeds on this, but basically about 1,200 uh, about 1200 to 1300, some of these things started to come out, but then they started having this dualism now between flesh, right. And the spirit. And then in modern day Christianity, and I mean the last 200 years, it has become this dualism between faith and deeds. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to do anything, Mm -hmm. you know, to be saved because to say you do something diminishes the sovereignty of God. Right. Mm -hmm. But what, what I think they're doing is they're just trying to reapply the Aristotelian dualistic theory. This comes from Thomas Aquinas because his whole mm-hmm. goal, his uh, uh, Summa Theologica, his whole goal, uh, he was considered one of the greatest theologians ever. And I mean, he's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. L- love his work. But you know what his, his whole goal was? Is to take the Aristotelian ethic, which is built on dualism, and wed it with Christian theology. Mm-hmm. So, so the seeds of this have happened and is really cropped up today. And 
So what happens is we're so busy trying to be doctrinally pure that we become faithfully weak. Mm-hmm. And the issue is, it's not just a matter of what I believe, but I have to, which is spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just my heart and my belief that God has this, but let's go back to our original discussion about guilt and shame, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, I, I believe that God wants to save me. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means I can't resolve and heal my own guilt. Yeah. Only he can do it. So, so now what do I do is I say, I'm going to trust in you. I give my life to you, right? Mm-hmm. So all this is happening where? Yep. Your head and your heart. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? Do you just say, okay, I'm done, right? right? Well, I think a lot of Christians would like that because wouldn't that be the easy way? Because then yeah. nothing... Nothing is required so much. Yeah. So then, so then what he does is he say, now you got to go out and live with mm-hmm. this new heart. Right. And so, but, but here's the struggle is you get up, if, if you felt that and it's caused you to be a negative person your whole life, you're going to get up in the morning and you're going to start thinking deconstructively. Oh, I hate this day. I, this, I felt terrible. It's not and this, and nobody's going to like me today. And man, I'm, and then I think of this old stuff and da, 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 da. And so that negative loop gets mm-hmm. going and your whole day is ruined. But, or you can get up in the morning and you say, okay, I have to live new. And so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read the word. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bathe. Okay. So now that's a deed, right? And then, you know, pastor Harv talks about this. When you pray, even when you're alone, you got to pray out loud. Mm -hmm. You know, when you hear Harv pray and he's praying out loud, he's praying life over Mm -hmm. you. You see, what is that doing? You're taking a thought and you're bringing it into the material world. Mm -hmm. What did Jesus do? He was completely God and completely in the material world all at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? All at the same time. And so this is why doing deeds is so critical because what you're doing is you're doing what Christ exemplified. You're bringing them both together. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just what we think. It's not just what we believe, but our action, our deed based on that, Mm -hmm. that is what propels us to grow spiritually. Yeah. And the consistency keep doing over yep. and over and over again. Yes, it is. So, well, we're out of time, everybody. Okay. And I want to, how do you Good feel stuff. you did on your uh, guest hosting? Well, you did most of the talking. So. It's usually that way. <laughs> it's usually that way. As it should be. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Dana. And thank you for I having just, me. You're welcome. And, and, and people, if you need to grow spiritually, whether it's individual in your own disciplines or you need to grow in community, then reach out to Dana. You can reach her at Dana at foothills.org. You can just go to our website and connect there. You can connect through our phone app and start your journey of faith. Start Mm -hmm. some digital discipleship, start getting in community. Our goal, our passion, and I know Dana's commitment is to try to continually create room at the table for you. And there is always a place. Mm -hmm. So God bless you. Have a really great day. Salty Pastor, signing off.